Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Glaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Now, look, I'll throw over to you, Ando, to go through our social platforms, but God, I'm excited. I know we're off the back of a loss, but this is this is an exciting time talking rugby. <laughs> Mate, we uh, had to delay the pod by one night just so we could get over the frustration and anger that was coursing through our veins, because as we said, we're a family-friendly and positive podcast, so yep, it needed to delay. So thank you, everybody. We, for had, uh, we had all intentions of going live or recording this last night, but after the result, we were like, to stick with the family-friendly positive Mantra, we need to give it at 24 hours. 100%. Um, so if you want to catch up with us or communicate, get us on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby, Facebook at the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast, and then on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. One quick thing I want to say is thank you to the absolute legends out there that have been giving us some uh, iTunes or Apple podcast reviews. Thank you so, so much. Heaps of have Heaps of them have been coming in. So I thought it'd be great if I actually read through a couple of them. Um, So thank you firstly to Happy Chappy 1234 Thank you for podcasting about Aussie rugby. There aren't many Aussie rugby podcasts left, so please keep going. Great rugby chat. Then we have this from the Cricket Library. What Australian rugby needs. The positive energy and family-friendly nature of this podcast celebrating the game played in heaven is a must-listen for fans of all ages. Passion and energy of the host as well as their knowledge of the game is a recipe for a highly engaging listen. A podcast like this one is exactly what Australian rugby needs. Now, I just want to pat myself on the back. Like, I feel great after having read that. So, um, look, if you just want to help us feel a bit better after the result on the weekend, please get in touch and uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That'd be brilliant. It really helps us get more traction. So, really appreciate your support there. Um, Mitch, over to you, mate. All right. So, we are going to go live again this Thursday night at 8 o'clock. So, for those who are listening to the pod for the first time or a newer listener, who hasn't been around for a while, what we're doing for the rugby champs, and we've been doing it for the last few games this year, is we release our pod on a Monday or a Tuesday morning at six o'clock, uh, and then you can listen to it whenever it works for you. But on Thursday nights, we have a preview episode for the upcoming games that weekend. So we go live, it's on YouTube, it's on Facebook, and it's on Twitter. Uh, you can get involved with us and comment and, and send your questions in in real time, and we can respond to those. Uh, and we normally have some pretty juicy guests as well. So Last Thursday, we were joined by Morgan Turanui, who had some great insights into Bledisloe 3 last weekend. And I think a lot of what he said actually probably came true in this game. And I think he was probably pretty close to the scoreline as well. Uh, But yeah, definitely get amongst that because it's a good watch. Uh, We also release it as a podcast as well. So Friday morning, it will be released on our podcast feed. So look out for that. We also have a Super Brew tipping comp that's going on at the moment so we're going to shout out the the legends who came first this week and congratulations to sensation who has taken out the yellow cap this week on two and a half points followed by zinzan on one and a half points shared with uh jumping tim slim the rib father sisp pt2 and mitch on all on one and a half points <laughs> Well done, mate. All, well done, all mate. rev, I should say, for those who <laughs> finally made it. You've made it up there. Well done, mate. I'm proud. Uh, of you, mate. 
And uh, if we look at who's coming first, second, and third overall on the table, so Sis PT2 is in first spot on six and a half points. Sensation, after taking out the yellow cap this week, has jumped up into second. So he's moved up four spots into second place on six points. And we've got the Rib Father coming in in third on five and a half points. Brilliant. Well, uh, Rev, what are we going to be covering this evening, mate? So tonight we're going to be looking through some of the club rugby results. Uh, we're going to go through Bledisloe 3 in a fair bit of detail, and then we're going to hit the locker room where we have a plethora of questions all about a very hotly contested game with, uh, I don't think, any controversy. So, <laughs> yeah, it should be good. How good. Well, let's jump on into it. Let's go, boys. All right. Over the weekend, we had some finals being played across Australia, and we'll jump into the Queensland Domestic Rugby because they were the, the main final that was shown on Stan Sports. So the Hospital Cup had their final on Sunday afternoon, one o'clock kickoff, and University of Queensland took out the competition 29-12 over GPS. Uh, This, from all reports, was the expected result going into this. Um, UQ seemed to have a good run leading into the final. What were your thoughts, Rev, around, first of all, the final itself, but was this the result that everyone was expecting and was the likely outcome of this game. Yeah, I think one of the funny things with this was that when Stan did the marketing for this, um, they had this featured as a double header with UQ versus GPS and then uh, Wallabies versus New Zealand. And they had UQ and Australia on the same side, so clearly that's the team that you know we should be going for and that um, is the good side. Um, most, I think, um, Sydney Uni fans probably would have gone for them as well just because like everyone likes to have a university team in there and Generally, they're pretty strong. And UQ were the best team in the um, competition this year, so they did deserve the win. Um, the nature of the win was pretty interesting. I think, I can't remember the exact halftime score, but they really blew out to quite a um, strong start. So I, I think, realistically, the game was always theirs to be won. And GPS put in a great performance. They got some pretty exciting backs, um, but they didn't really have the class to match up against UQ. And I think just leading from that, they probably should have put Jeeps on the same side as Wallabies because one of the key <laughs> things that actually came up as I was watching the game is that Jeeps just continually bombed some of the some of the opportunities that they had down in UQ's half, where they'd get a penalty, go for a touch finder, and then just do an overthrow with the line out, lose possession, and then um, UQ would just be or kick it dead, 50 yeah. metres up the field. And so it's just those little things that uh, you, you then later saw the Wallabies just destroying their chances with. And I just <laughs> thought, damn, this is exactly what uh, the Jeeps did just earlier this afternoon. Yeah, this is Australian rugby in a nutshell, unfortunately, at the moment. But it, from all accounts, it was a great game. It was great to see Stephen Moore get the victory with the University of Queensland. And uh, he finishes his career now on a high, taking out a premiership, which from what I believe, and I don't want to say this is Pure fact, but what I this is his first premiership as a professional player, so it's uh big for him that he's finishing on his career on a high, and I, I think for a lot of reasons that's probably the reason he chose to to play on another year uh, and play that later half of the season. So well done to uh, Stephen Moore. But we had some other results uh, from Queensland as well earlier in the day. So in the Premier Women's competition, we had Easts taking the victory over GPS twenty eight fourteen. Uh, and then we had the Colts' first grade sides, uh, GPS taking out the victory there, 34-24 over Easts. So, uh, Rev, did you get a chance to watch any of these these games? Or Yes, I uh, saw both of these matches, and that East performance for the women was just phenomenal. Um, they got off to such a strong start. Their 
10-12 combinations worked really well all year. I thought the way in which they just handled the business up front with the forwards, like they made so many nice meters and some big hits in defense, but also some nice strong carries. So again, probably something that the um, Wallabies could look to was just how well they did getting those guys set up. Um, so I was really impressed with them. And the, the team that I think really stole the show was the GPS Colts team. Um, unfortunately, they were versing my East, and East were the um, top of the table going into the comp. And I think they were winning 14-8 or something like that at halftime. They were, they were looking pretty good, um, but Jeeps just came rolling home. And one of the players I think everyone's got to look out for is that um, Floyd Aubrey, the fullback for Jeeps. He's someone that just looks like an absolute talent. Um, there's been a lot of you know high-profile pundits already on Twitter just saying he's the next big thing. Watch out. Um, and while I don't want to blow too much smoke just yet, um, he did look very good in both the prelim final and this final. So I think if any club can sort of get him into their academy and watch him sort of rise up the ranks, uh, he's one to definitely look out for, especially in a position where we need a little bit more extra gas. What position does he play? Sorry? Uh, fullback. Ah, uh, okay. Great. Taz, sign him up. <laughs> starting starting Taz Wales. member right now. How old is he? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, let's get him a contract ASAP. I mean... He'd be 20, 20 right? As a well, Colt or 19? He's got to be, yeah, 20 or under. 19, so he's, um, he's definitely Fits young. right into the Tars. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like he'll he'll be our, our goal kicker. He'll be our uh, our first choice. He'll be our captain. He'll do everything next year. That's what we do <laughs> at New South Wales. We put all of our cards in one pot. Carrying on, Mitch. Let's go. Okay, carrying on. I was leaving that there for someone to jump in. But uh, no. this will, we've got uh, a humble shout out for longtime listener of the pod and friend of the pod, Brian Knight, who wanted us to shout out his home team, the Devonport Bulls from Tasmania, who took out the final a few weeks ago against Launceston. So well done to the Bulls. They came away 39-27 victors uh, in the competition down in Tasmania. So well done to them. Great to see that there's some rugby being played down in Tassie. Um, and I'm look, liking the look of the Bulls. So they've got their logo is similar to the Bulls from South Africa. It is. But it's yeah. green. It's or brilliant. Chicago Bulls? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I think anyway. there's a, let's not broadcast that picture. They might get some sort of a lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. Is that kind of like our uh, mention on Drive Live? Yeah. A little stand threaten. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> but uh, thank you for your support, Brian. And uh, he was there on the weekend going for the Wallabies in Perth. So. And one of the cool things that would be pretty fun is if anybody does have any kind of local club rugby stories. I know the seasons are kind of finishing, but if there's anything going on you'd like us to shout out, just let us know. We'd love to support rugby wherever we can. So get in touch and we'd be more than happy to share a story or to tell a tale for you or with you. So get in touch. Awesome. Cool. Should we move on to the players? For that section, let's move on. Let's go. As mentioned earlier, we had to delay this podcast because of the intense feelings that were running through our veins on Sunday night. And if you've had your head stuck in the sand, like many of us wish we did, the New Zealand All Blacks came away 3-0 series victors against the Wallabies over in Perth, 38-21, with a halftime score of 0-18, to which actually means that we won the second half, 21-20. Sucked in New Zealand, we won something. <laughs> so... I was personally just super frustrated because so much of uh, so so much of the game was filled with mistakes of our own making, and it looks and it felt like there were just basic errors crueling our chances again and again. Uh, Rev, starting us off, what were your kind of initial takeaways from the match when the final whistle blew? I think when it all got finished, I was just 
upset just basing off the score line it's our second closest loss against New Zealand out of our last five losses but it just felt like we were so far away it just watching that even the nice parts of our game which there were some nice parts I just kept looking and thinking gee we're such a such an age off them like we keep making so many mistakes and we're not learning from them so I think most of the feeling went sort of from angry throughout but just to just really disheartened and disappointed I just I'd like to know what they're actually doing to try and remedy these things that you know they've talked about they recognize what they need to do um they've come out and said you know we need to do this and that and then they're still not able to execute so I'm very concerned to see how much this you know is mental and how much can actually be learned between now and uh, the next test yeah which is really worrying considering we're going up against the Springboks and they have looked menacing over the last no eight weeks or so so i I don't think the task is getting any easier i will say one thing that was good to see in this game that they remedied from game two was there was no big long uh wide cutouts this game so that was one thing that is something so (laughs) they still had two intercepts but they were from offloads and close contacts and realistically those two intercepts that they got i don't know how you stop that I've gone back and watched those over and over again. And apart from the fact that the All Blacks are taking a massive roll of the dice to get up in the defensive line and take the ball on so quickly, I don't know how you stop that because the plays were literally like a foot away from each other when they threw those offloads. The first one's very easy to stop. Phillips should not be throwing on left to right, his bad side. He should not be throwing passes that long because that was at least a six-metre pass. Like That wasn't as if it was a little pop. Like That isn't the role of a lock. Um, But it's not a cutout either. Not a cutout. But <laughs> take just... what we can. Positive, we'll positive. Can. <laughs> oh, yeah, positive, family-friendly. Okay, get involved. No, I hear what you're saying, though. It, it's not his role, is it, Rev? No. Yeah. And that, that was my only concern, was I think we did so many nice things, but so many things that we were doing that were nice, it was sort of out of context. And I'm, mm-hmm. we'll go through a lot of the game in more detail, but yep. Swinton, I actually thought, you know, his role of the six, he didn't make enough tackles or make enough damaging runs. But he set up a really nice um, line break for Ikatao, and he had a really good support line. He did actually protect that ruck really well. Yep. So a lot of our players, even the ones that might not have had great things, didn't do things amazingly, but we're, we're getting there. It just seems like there's something just off. Yeah, it seems like there are just some core elements of what we're doing that just aren't stacking up or the players aren't able to execute. And there will be some of this that we go through with kind of video footage or um, photos or steals from the game on Thursday night. So make sure that you tune in at 8pm on Thursday because I know I have a lot of stuff I'd love to go through and do some analysis on and and I know the guys will as well. Um, So just be prepared for that. Now, one of the main talking points that's come out after the game, kind of surprisingly, for my mind, was the red card to Geordie Barrett. And the reason why it's been a talking point is because it's been quite divisive. There have been people who have thought that it shouldn't have been a red card some that thought it should have been a yellow, and some that it's a penalty only. And uh, some now, and some are even saying that it should have been a card to Corabetti. For getting in For the getting space. involved yeah, or getting yeah. in the space of Geordie Barrett coming down in the air. Yeah. 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 Well, um, here is one of the um, our loyal listeners um, at ChristyK5 who've got in touch and said, in regards to the red, what is everybody not understanding? If you make dangerous contact with the head, it's red accident or not red. Corabetti against France, red. Today's game, red. It's the rules. I don't agree with the rules, but that's what they are. Red, 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 red. Um, so, I've, um, 
there's some detail that we can go into, but when you follow the law application guidelines and in the laws of the game itself, it's a clear-cut red. And anybody that's trying to argue differently is doing it based upon their emotion and desire and their feelings for the situation rather than the actual laws themselves. Um, if you go through the laws, it is a red card. Mitch, would you agree with that or is that just my opinion and I'm just profoundly wrong? It has to be a red card. In my opinion, a situation like this, we need to do as like world rugby and the referees in, in international rugby need to do as much as they can to stop this kind of thing happening. So any contact with the head is dangerous. Uh, we play a contact game and, and that is what it is, but there's also a real chance that we can have lasting damage or injuries to our players. And the game has a responsibility to try and get rid of those elements as much as possible. So any contact direct with head anywhere on the body um, that has the potential to cause injury needs to be a red card. So shoulders, uh, it's the same as those um, the the spine rolls where they lock the, the neck and, and roll out of a, a breakdown. This situation with studs to face has to be a red because we need to set a precedent uh, from these situations that if a player goes up into the air, yes, they have a responsibility to come down safely and players shouldn't interfere with that, but at the same time, they can't present dangerous situations to other attacking players, uh, defending players either. So the onus has to be on them to not kick out at players who are coming in to uh, affect a tackle. Because if we look at this situation and Corabetti ends up getting a sprig to the eye and goes blind from that, uh, that's not something that's worth, like nothing is worth that. And we need to try and come down hard on those situations to that cut leads, it out of that game moving forward. Yeah, that leads further into, I guess, the some of the commentary around Damon Murphy's refereeing of the game. And the ch challenge I found was that we were getting pumped. We were getting outplayed by the All Blacks and they were comprehensively beating us, beating us in most facets of the game for the majority of the game. And so I was looking for things to blame apart from the fact that we sucked. And so that immediately turns to a referee, right? Like, it can't be your team that's making the fight. It's got to be the impartial person in the middle that's <laughs> uh, twisting things not in your favor. And so one of the challenges I found was um, I thought his interpretation of the ruck or the breakdown was pretty hard to, hard to um, accept because it, it seemed or it felt like a lot of the 50-50 calls weren't going our way. Um, maybe it was just a off night statistically. But maybe it was also the fact that we were losing and I was looking for any excuse to justify our <laughs> loss. Um, Rev, what was your thoughts on the interpretation of the breakdown, particularly from Damon Murphy? I think some of the things that um, came into play with the breakdown, firstly, is we don't ever commit that many numbers to rocks. So Australia are pretty renowned for not really being a massive rock presence since uh, Pocock's left the scene. The other thing is we were fresh off the 57 to 22 loss, which means the refs, you know, being as impartial as they can be does have in their mind, okay, New Zealand are a team that are much better than the Wallabies at the moment. Like they're doing things a lot better. It is going to factor in that if something is a little 50-50 that more often than not, they'd think, well, Australia is probably in the wrong because New Zealand are playing better. So that would factor in somewhat, but the problem with Damon Murphy is uh, we've seen through Super Rugby AU that he's quite pedantic with some of the, um, you know, officiating, but often misses other things, large, yeah. yeah, and it, it, most referees will have certain things they look out for. Um, you know, 
if you chat to any referee, they'll say that you know their real focus is uh, scrums or the offside line, or they really want to make sure that rucks are going through smoothly. We saw with uh, Damon Murphy that so many times where people were cleaning people out, um, you know, diving straight off their feet or not supporting their own body weight, that wasn't really something he was always um, infringing because there were certain times the Wallabies were doing that and weren't really like treating the ruck um, and protecting it as they should be. That I thought, gee, if he was really wanting to, he could give penalties a lot more freely to New Zealand. So I think, unfortunately for us, the things that we do at the ruck um, you know, did get pinned. Um, and some of the things that New Zealand do at the Rock just didn't. Uh, they fall more into the side of things that are maybe a bit more pedantic and don't get looked at as often. But uh, the other thing is they also just attack the Rock a lot better. Their loose forwards did such a good job of protecting the ball. Mm-hmm. There is... And, um, and, yep. Sorry, you go, Mitch. You go. Oh, I was going to say, I've, I could talk about this all night. But... I know, and I'm going to cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> there is an element of... Uh, from what I perceive, the a setup in some ways, like I, I believe that the All Blacks were presenting a picture to Damon Murphy that they had maybe communicated previously, like in the lead up to the game, and that was that we want to have quick ball, we're going to be on the ball, and we're going to go hard at that, um, and so they were presenting pictures to the referee that the Wallabies don't release the ball cleanly or quickly for our pilfers, because there were so many times in this game where the, the arriving New Zealand defender would play the Wallabies player and not the ball. Uh, there was so many times where the, the the standing over All Blacks player is pulling up on the Wallabies player, but the ball's actually at the back of the breakdown and Tate McDermott's about to clear it when Damon Murphy blows a penalty for holding on. And how can you be holding on if the ball's been cleared? You're not actually playing the ball, you're playing the player on the ground. Um, and they're presenting these situations to the referee and saying that the Wallabies are intentionally slowing the ball down. And that's what I believe he was interpreting quickly because there was so many times where there wasn't even a chance for the Wallabies defenders to get there and clean out the breakdown before he's already blown a penalty for holding on. Yep. Yeah, it was, it was really challenging to watch. And I think the big takeaway from this is we just weren't good enough in controlling our controllables. So making sure that we're protecting our rock more effectively than we actually were, um, trying to exert some pressure in a Kiwi breakdown as well to uh, d- delay their quick ball, um, making sure that like in those situations that you were just describing, Mitch, where the, where the Kiwi player is latching onto the waist of our tackled player and not even trying to play the ball, that Hooper is then communicating that with the referee at the next available opportunity to say, look, we're trying to play the ball, but they're holding our player and not allowing us to actually like play the ball back. They're not even trying to get the ball as is. So I think the there are lots cleared. of elements of that. We've that cleared we the ball from the ruck. Play yeah. on. Well, some of them, some of the times, yeah. One yeah, of the ones I'm thinking. Anyway, who cares? Yeah. Um, the point is we need to be better in what we do as well and just recognize that that didn't lose us the game um, and that we can be as salty as we want about some calls, but by and large, yeah, we just lost to a much better team. And... 3-0 in the series with heavy defeats that does not um, basically prove that point. But why don't, we, why don't we keep on going? Because, I mean, realistically, the referee interpretation, referee's role within this game was a minimal, actually. It was the Australians who were the kind of masters of their own fate here. And the pressure that the All Blacks put us under was so significant that it caused a lot of those issues. Uh, Jeff at tar underscore tragic Ask, do we have to admit we just can't match it with the big boys anymore, except we're mediocre at best and start playing tier two nations only in a new competition? Mitch? 
we can't accept we can't accept that we're not good enough at the moment. Uh, it, it might be nice for fans to to play to to dream about playing Japan or Fiji and having a an even competition and actually being able to win something. But overall, that's not going to improve Australian rugby. We're not going to get better by doing that. We're just probably going to show up at a uh, at a World Cup in a few years, thinking that we're going to compete with the top tier nations and not even make it out of our pool. So we do need to do. We do need to play the All Blacks, unfortunately. I still have questions about how much we play the All Blacks. I don't think three yeah, tests okay. every single year is necessary, but we definitely don't need to sort of admit and concede that we're only a Tier 2 nation now and be happy with that. I think we still need to strive to be to be a Tier 1 nation and to be pushing that top three. Uh, but yeah, playing the All Blacks three times a year is a very big ask and no one no one in the world does it other than us. Yep. Um we're next comment comes from CHT at Prometheus AM on Twitter. Watch the game live from under the sticks. It was good perspective to see how often the Wallabies would pass away from their numbers. Either that's poor vision by Tate, poor communication to him, or the patterns are not having their intended purpose. Perhaps even were found out. Rev, what say you? Now, more often than not, this tends to be the fault of the backs outside the halfback. I, I wouldn't blame Tate for this because I think a lot of the communication should be from the outside backs saying. Um, you know, where there is space or where there isn't. The problem with this is New Zealand's defence always operates in such a way that in the first half, they really shut down our centres. So they rush up quite quickly, um, even if they are able to get some metres. Like we saw Karevi make a lot of metres this week and we saw Paisami yeah. do a few damaging runs as well previously. Um, but they do shut it off and really limit the amount of times the ball can actually get out to Corrimbetti or Callaway. So I think that sort of rush does force the players later in the game to be less likely to call it, and it does sort of stifle their um, communication if they really do think, oh, actually, no, because if it comes out here, they're just going to swamp up on us. And that's what causes some of the riskier cutout passes we've seen previously or some of the kicks or what we saw this game. I think, I'll just have to check, but I think Karevi ran it 23 times. You know, like, it's just forcing a lot of uh, one-up runs just to really try and negate that. Yeah, and one of the challenges that I really found with the way in which we used Karevi in this game, and I think it speaks to his class that he was still able to have quite a good impact and quite good stats at least, uh, after this game was that we kept doing this um, play to a forward pod, usually someone like Matt Phillip at the front of the forward pod, and you look for generally the hope would be that they're going to um, smash it up, they've got the ball in two hands, play it onto the outside or onto the inside, do a little pop pass at the last moment to get the other forwards in the pod over the advantage line. But what they would often do is play it out the back to the waiting playmaker who would then give it to um, to Karevi or they'd play it directly out to Karevi. But the Kiwis were just reading it every single time and rushing up and targeting Karevi. And he was good enough that he was able to like stand in a tackle, maybe make a couple of metres through contact. But we just kept going and we kept trying to do these out the back of the um, pod plays when we didn't actually have the forward momentum to warrant that type of move and to be able to sit the New Zealand defensive line down on their heels so they didn't have that line speed coming against us. So we kept trying to go, like, it reminded me really of what the Waratahs have been guilty of at times, is where they're trying to execute these wider backline plays with depth, but they're not getting the opposing team on the defensive before they try to execute that. Yeah. And so all that does is it allows the defensive line to come up, make the tackle, and you have to, our forwards then have to come back about five or 10 meters to actually get into the ruck to secure the ball. It was incredibly frustrating to just see that happen. And so I think there's, 
an element to which the on-field leadership needs to take more responsibility for not calling those backline plays until the situation demands it. And to me, that kind of leads to a question around Noah Lolasiu and his role. Um, I'm really struggling to see him get picked again for the next match against South Africa. I don't think he deserves to keep his spot, despite the fact that the current news is that James O'Connor may well still not be ready for this weekend's game. So, um, Mitch, for you, who's, who's starting at 10 if it's not Noah Lolasiu? Quaid Cooper. Okay. No, I'm that joking. Is... I'm joking. I'm just throwing Are you that actually... in there. No, because knowing you, like, I just assumed <laughs> that you meant that. I, of, I often say that as, as a jest, just because I know it gets a rise. Uh, I would be going with Reese Hodge this week. I don't think with James O'Connor coming back into the team, even if he's not ready this week, but joining the team, I think Quade Cooper probably won't stay on for the rugby champs. I don't see them needing three, play, three out-and-out tens with no other position for them to play. So, uh, yeah, I I would... If James O'Connor's not ready this week, I imagine that we... Or I hope that we put Hodge in there at 10. Okay. Rev, Hodge? Uh, I'll stick with Lola Sia. But yeah, okay. If, okay. Um, if, I, if you had to change someone, I guess Hodge. But, yeah, um, I, I'd stick with Lola Sia. Why? I think that he's the best uh, actual 10 option. Like, Hodge isn't... Attend. He did a really good job coming off the yep. bench, but he isn't the player that I see, you know, leading a, a charge from there. I think Lolisio, I mean, in my ideal setting, he's the 10 and Hodges at 15. If we give the kicking duties to Hodge, um, that's already a big chunk of pressure off Lolisio. Uh, and he can really just focus on his distributing because his general play, there weren't too many mistakes. There was the early tackling era where um, he should have gone for um, the outside man and let Tate cover the inside. Um, but he had a few nice runs. He had a few nice breaks. His passing, like he didn't throw any intercepts, which is a low bar, but like that's, <laughs> you know, when we've thrown five, it's nice that he didn't throw one of them this time. Um, his kicking was okay. like, And I think with another kicking option with Hodge at the back, it would be even more beneficial. So I think he's the option we build around if it isn't James O'Connor. So let's make sure the team around him is best equipped to handle that. I wonder if that then means you need to be bringing Nick White into nine to take some of the burden or responsibility off um, Noah Lolisiu. Because I just wonder if our backline combination is just too raw. When you've got um, when you've got Tate McDermott, you've got Lenny Kitao at 13, and Hunter Paisami is not allowed voice at 12 when he's playing either. I'm just concerned that we're not getting enough direction and leadership from the back line. And whilst Tate did play really well, and I, I rate him, he's done well at starting. I just wonder if maybe the extra level of communication and distribution ability that Nick White brings comparative to Tate McDermott might be more valuable for the upcoming game. The issue with that, though, is that it's not actually the number nine's responsibility or the scrum half's responsibility to set the back line. He has yeah. to be the link between the backs and the forwards. He's too busy just trying to find the next player to hit. Um, yep. You can't expect him to then start calling and, and setting the backs up to be in position for him to make a play. That that needs to sit with a 10. And the moment we, the problem we have at the moment is that Noah's not doing that and he's not communicating well with his outside backs. And we're not seeing any variation. We're not seeing any set plays coming from that because I think Noah is panicking when he get he's playing the all blacks and it's it's justifiable he's so young that he would panic in that situation but I, for me at the moment we don't need to be looking right now 
at this year, we don't need to be looking at 2023 at the World Cup because we know that the two options are going to be Noel Alessio or James O'Connor at the moment. We potentially Reese Hodges a backup option. We or just Will need Harrison. to. You've, you've forgotten Will Harrison from that. <laughs> or Will Harrison. But the problem with Will Harrison is he hasn't had a, ca- a test cap yet. So it's probably too late in rotation to actually bring him in as a feasible option now yeah. when we've got yeah. Noah there. So yeah. um, maybe 2027, we're looking at Will Harrison, hopefully. But back to the other point uh, we need to win games now and we need to be competitive. If we go through the rugby champs and don't win a game, it's dire situations and there is a very real chance that they'll sack Dave Rennie for that. And that comes down to the people that he's picking. And so Noah has proven through these last few games that he's not our first choice option at 10. He's not experienced at that position yet to be leading the back line around. We need someone else in there just for this next few games until James O'Connor is ready to come back and take the reins. Okay. One of the questions that's come in from Debsy, so at C. Dorbenay, is it time for a new captain? For 30 minutes, Wallabies had a man advantage at crucial times in Bleds 2 and 3, yet they squander it. To me, they need a cool head at the top to lead these moments. Jock fits the bill, in my opinion. Yeah, well, he's been injured for the last, like, however many games. Hoops, excellent as a player only, and I'm a Tars fan. Uh, Rev, a certain guest on your pod spoke to Michael Hooper's leadership ability. Why don't you speak about that and spook your pod as well? Yeah, sure thing. So on uh, the most recent episode of Rugby Fixation, I was lucky enough to be joined by uh, international referee Ben O'Keefe. And he um, he had such glowing praise about Hooper because that was one of the questions I wanted to get to was there's so many calls by Australian fans as to if it's, you know, if it's not Hooper's fault that we're losing, whose is it? And can we get another captain just to see if it is? But he couldn't speak highly enough about how Hooper was able to um, – grow over the last sort of six years that he's been captain of either the Waratahs or the Wallabies and how he does control the game really quite well um, and that he doesn't really see anyone else in the Wallabies that would do it to his level. So to me, this is a really easy one. Um, Hooper's not the fault. Um, Hooper's captaincy is not in question here. We're looking at why we haven't ever scored points in those 30 minutes. Look to Brendan Panger and Moser and Falafanga not being able to throw the line out straight. Look to Tom Banks not finding touch. Look to Noel Lollasio not being able to kick territory well enough. All points. Look to, yeah, I mean, all, all the points. Look at all these different issues. None of them stem from the wrong choice being made. It's errors being made while Hooper has selected what would be the correct choice. Mm. When we look at all the errors that have been made, not once in those 30 minutes has it been Hooper that's made the error. I, I think it's very easy to blame the captain, much the same as it's very easy to blame the coach. Um. But, I mean, Ando's referenced it before. I really subscribe to Cocker's Law from uh, the Egg Chasers pod. Who's the alternative? And we can't say Jock because he's been injured. I think Jock already assumes a leadership role once he comes back anyway, even if it's not the C next to his name. Hooper's clearly the best captain. Um, and I think anyone that says otherwise probably isn't thinking logically enough about the situation. And, and if you are going to get in touch with us and say we're full of crap, then who's, who's the alternative? You yeah. need to give us the alternative that you're going to put forward. And I would um, go on to say in that regard that this was the first time this week that we have actually seen a fair chunk of a game played without Hooper on the field. So he mm-hmm. left He left, and he wasn't on the field when Geordie Barrett got the red card. So that was James Slipper as captain in that instance. It was and 10 minutes he was off, yeah. Yeah, so he, he went off and he was off for halftime. Or he came on... Anyway, so there was a fair chunk of this game where he wasn't the captain on the field. And I was actually disappointed with James Slipper as captain of the Wallabies in that time. Not necessarily in terms of what happened on the field, but just 
his approach afterwards. Uh, if you watch the post-match press conference, Hooper was getting his face stitched up, so James Slipper was sitting in on it, and he couldn't have looked any more disenfranchised or uninterested in being there. He was the captain, essentially, and when they threw him questions, he kind of just gave these like, like half-assed attempts. He was like picking his finger as they were having the conversation, and he just didn't seem interested at all. So if mm. he is the second-choice option... For the Wallabies, as we saw to in this situation, um, well, then we're in trouble because there is no one else. Yeah, I wonder why Alan wasn't given it. He was on the field at the time. I thought he'd be the next person. But anyway, let's keep on going. Um, so, Glenn Phillips has said some good performances from individuals in the backs, but it's not a functioning attack. Rugby, uh, Rugbedia was saying that Crevy was the best of the Wallabies for me, everywhere and effective. Um, he was everywhere. I'm not sure how effective he was, mostly because of the way in which he was utilised from my opinion of it. Tony Mickley states, or at and one Wallabies, Sami Crevy is actually our best player from the weekend. He was, he was up there. Um, I thought Tate McDermott and Michael Hooper were also quite strong as well within their roles. Um, now, Hugh Tyndall. Hugh Tyndall brings the positivity that we need within our world. So, Hugh, thank you for your ongoing optimism and support. Unrelenting positivity from me. Three tries against the best side in the world and two overruled. Class nines, best back rower in the world. Key players to come back from injury. Gitto Law tweaks to get our world-class overseas players back. Young side getting caps, building to 2023. Rev, is that something that you can get behind? This idea that, yeah, we suck right now, but there's this golden utopia in the future that we can be hopeful for. I want to know if Hugh Tyndall's single, because that is a beautiful <laughs> tweet. That is lovely. I, I, he needs to be snapped up if he's still on the market. Um, you offering, mate? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm taking it at the moment, but I'm, I'll see what I can work around. Um, <laughs> we'll make it I, work. I, I think that uh, is great, and there's so much to that that I like. And to be fair, I was um, following your post to see which questions were coming in after the match, and I saw this comment, and I thought, you know what, there are a lot of things to like. Um, I thought both Nick White and Tate McDermott were awesome, as Hughes states. Uh, Hooper would be uh, the seven in a World 15, I truly believe. The key players coming back from injury, this is the bit that gets me because we need to see what our best team looks like. We still haven't had everyone available, so I don't know where Parisi um, fits into the centres. I don't know how Paisami and um, Brevi work if they're both available. Uh, I'd love to see Vinavalu get a chance on the wing, but, you know, there's so many things we're going to try and uh, get working. My big thing with this, because it's the last sort of sentence or two that um, is really important, which says a young side getting caps and building to 2023. We've got to keep in mind that Dave Rennie's got such a young and inexperienced squad here. So over the match, they had 587 caps before kickoff, you know, which is a, a bit. A lot of them come from Hooper and Slipper, but <laughs> it's not much. When we contrast it to Checker in his second year, when he was getting ready to face England at the World Cup, which is a hard challenge, he had 1,085 caps in that 23. Yeah. So from that, there were only two players in the whole 23 that had under 20 caps. Scott Seo, who's obviously gone on to do quite well, and Kane Douglas. Ten of their players had over 50 caps. We're so far behind where, you know, that team was at that point. So we can't compare to our old selves. We've just got to look to the side we've got at the moment. We had 11 players with 10 or less caps going to this match. Let's keep building with this side because we point out, scored three tries against the best team in the world, still look good in parts. It's the basic errors. They should be the things that easy cut out. Haven't been able to do it yet. 
but hypothetically, that should be something that we can actually engage with. And that then leads us to a bit of the broader question. We're not going to answer this tonight. It is a good thing to just touch on and briefly comment on. But Nick Fitzner has got in touch and said, when will the rugby hierarchy... That's for for the locker room. Yeah, I know, but we're basically jumping into it now. Oh, we're going straight in? Okay. Yeah, let's go. Um, So when will the rugby hierarchy and fans at all levels realise that we cannot continue trying to win test matches when our development pathways are eroding? Because what Rev has just clearly pointed out is that our players where they are at right now aren't at the same level as the All Blacks. And be that because of lack of skills or in the case that he was pointing out, a lack of top flight experience. Um, The challenge that I just wanted to bring us back to is that comparison I made with Marcus Smith at Harlequins. Here you have the new up-and-coming fly half for England who might be getting a few more games over the next 12 months if Farrell and Ford don't take that starting position. And he's had over 100 professional games so far for Harlequins. And Noah Lulisi had something in a region of like 20. Um, I can't remember the exact stat from the other week, but it just shows that our development pathways aren't preparing our play, preparing our players well enough for the demands of the international rugby. Now, Mitch, I know you've got a few ideas on this. Um, whilst we don't have time to go through mm. the full yeah. um, concept that you put up there, mm-hmm. what, what do you think about that question that Nick Fitzner has put up? It's, it's smack bang right on the, the money at the moment. The, we don't have a development pathway. We currently don't have a development system in Australian rugby. It's luck, really that some of these young players have been picked out of schoolboys to play under Australian under-20s and then have gone on to play Super Rugby and are now playing for the Wallabies. If we realistically had an Australian A team or competition running, how many of these starting Wallabies from Sunday would be in that side? I would vote that and should be. Noel Alessio should be there, Len Ikatao, Lockie Lonigan, probably uh, Swinton, maybe Valentini. Um, Swain, like it's a big chunk of, of our starting 23 that really shouldn't be up to test level when in their development pathway. They should be playing teams like Japan, like Fiji, like Tonga in an Australian A system or a, a system that they're playing a lower level competition than the All Blacks in their development path. We, we don't have that. And that's the reason that we're currently sitting here going, why are these players not performing? Because they don't have the experience. They haven't been exposed to this level or they've been exposed to this level way too early on in their careers. It's, it's a hard question to answer in that, what do we do yeah. now? Because we don't have that system. But the reason New Zealand has such depth is because they do have those pathways. I think what would be great is if we can try and get in touch with some of the kind of... Um the state-based coaches that can speak to the existing state-based development systems and whether or not they do connect into a kind of national setup. Because I know that they exist on a state level, but it's seeing how they then feed into the super sides and then into the Wallabies. It's a bit of a broader question and something that is from an outsider's view, not easily apparent within our setup. Um, We have a a question here from Gold Digger. At what point do we recognise that potential heart and belief aren't actually significant factors and Australian rugby requires sweeping fundamental changes to the system? I think um, we have, and a lot of pundits within, a lot of the fans within Australian rugby have over the last kind of at least 18 months really been crying out for the need for systemic change within Australian rugby. Um, I don't think we'll go into that anymore at this point, 
But yeah, it's something that a lot of voices are putting out there. I just wonder if RA has the ability right now or the capacity, might be a better way of saying it, to make the changes that surely they know are required. The one, sure, front, I mean, the one frustrating thing I will say about this uh, is that we sit here and we've offered so many options, so many systems or competitions or ways that they could introduce different things, but they just don't seem to be listening. All the rugby maybe, maybe administrators... Maybe we need to send a strongly worded email. My wife's very good at them. <laughs> All the rugby administrators need to do is pick up Twitter and type in Wallabies or Australian rugby and the first few hundred of things that come up, they'll see what the problems are. They'll see where the fans sit, what we want changed, but they just seem such a disconnect between the people in charge of Australian rugby at the moment and the average pundit that what we want doesn't happen. What we, where we can see areas of growth and potential, they don't go that way. It's, it's frustrating. Like we've, we've all been sitting here saying for years that we need to bring the NRC back. It's so needed. And speaking to Morgan Turanui last week, he says, well, they're not rugby AU isn't looking at an NRC system, they're bringing back the Australia A program. They think that's the answer. No, and but he he specifically said because they can't. Because they bring can't. back the NRC. Financially, right so that's, that's an important difference to make. It's not that they don't want to, it's that they don't have the capacity to. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's just really challenging. And, I mean, I guess that's where the golden carrot of the 2027 World Cup comes in because with that, if we do get the 2027 World Cup, and God forbid if we don't, um, that payday is, I think Morg said it last week, is basically the last great opportunity for rugby in Australia to basically right the wrongs and sort out a lot of the systemic issues that are happening. Anyway, we're getting too deep down that rabbit hole. I'll briefly say this from Tassie Nath. Um, how about you get serious and talk about the real issues? Oz Rugby needs a complete clean sweep at all levels. Clean out the hogs of the trough. Put some noses out of joint and start again. We're pathetic. That performance save hoops is pathetic, pathetic, pathetic. Burn it all down is basically what he's saying here. Um, thanks for your passion, Nath Tazzy. I really appreciate it. We've kind of spoken to that point already. Uh, Mark underscore underscore D underscore H, a lot of underscores there, has stated his changes for playing South Africa based upon raw emotion. Hodge to 15 and also to take on kicking duties. White to start at nine. Samu start in back row instead of Swinton. Rodder to start. Tupo and Bell to start and get at least 60 minutes out of both. Hooker is also a question mark. Um, so, Rev, a couple of those points are pretty interesting. We've already spoken a little bit about Hodge and what you're going to potentially do at number 10. But what do we do about the hooker position if BPA is still injured for this upcoming match? Do we stick with Kalau Fainga? Do we... I mean, surely we're not promoting Lockie Lonergan to start against South Africa. No. No, that, that would be a, um, a suicide mission, I think, sending in a hooker that's that inexperienced and that lightweight against such a formidable pack. Mm-hmm. Ideally, we'd have Yelassi Valor, which I don't think he is. Um, so the next best thing is just hoping Fanga can last sort of 70 or so minutes um, or see if Stephen Moore wants one last game maybe get him out of retirement but <laughs> he's how in good Queensland. would that he's be? in Queensland how good would that be? Uh, even someone like Chipper Hansen he's got the experience a bit more size and I get that that's not really going to happen but this is such a tough ask um, and Lonergan he's a promising prospect but We've got to think, he's probably behind Alex Murphy and uh, Dave Brucky if neither of them were injured. Laddie Kaito, if he's available, I don't know the extent of his injuries, but if he's available, get him in there. I think he only twinged something in like a hammy or a or an ankle or something uh, leading into the game. So he was a tweak he, as opposed to. Yeah, I think he might be ready. 
Hopefully. The, the challenge then, I guess, is you don't really want to be making your debut as a forward against South Africa and not a World <laughs> Cup winning Lions beating South Africa. Mm. But, I mean, he is the kind of player. He's 26, so he does have a bit more experience and a bit more, you know, street bread and know-how than Lonergan. So that part does entice. But to me, I, I agree with a lot of what Mark said. I, I quite like that. I, I still think the props start as they were. Maybe just give uh, Tupo and Bell another five to ten minutes because they came on about 56 minutes in, I think. Um, and then Pete Samu, I really like him. But we're all forgetting Harry Wilson. Harry Wilson's got to start with Valentini. Samu off the bench. That's perfect role for him. Mm-hmm. I thought when Hooper came off and we saw Samu come on, that was real justification that he is the best um, bench option, just that he can actually cover six, seven, and eight to a good degree. Yep. Yeah, I, I think, was actually quite happy with Samu's involvement. I think what we do around the hooker situation is do what we do back in under sixes and under sevens is just show up at the game and say, oh, sorry, guys, we, we don't have a hooker. <laughs> Um, so if you don't want uncontested scrums, we'll take Malcolm Marks. There we go. And um, <laughs> yep. see how we go. You know what? I'd so... I like <laughs> Imagine it. Imagine having Malcolm Marks yeah. in our side. Oh, my God. That would fix so many problems. On that on that um, point, though, how strange was it to see after the game on the weekend all the players swapping jerseys? So, like, Bowden Barrett and David Havili walking around in Wallabies jerseys. I was doing double takes. What, have I fallen asleep and woken up in some strange alternate reality? <laughs> I'm, I'm super keen. I've got the new um, Indigenous jersey that's on its way, the new Wallabies one. So Fair I'm enough. Hopefully it shows up for Thursday. Yeah, that's my hope. That's my hope. That'll be awesome yeah. to wear. Um, guys, Hunter Paisami, if he's available for this weekend, uh, does he come straight back into the centres? Do we drop Lenny Katow and push Paisami out to 13 or Karevi at 13? Mitch, what would you be doing with our centre combination if Paisami is available? question i have first of all is paisami actually allowed to rejoin the squad if he's gone out of a bubble uh i think so because queensland's situation is a bit different to new south wales okay great i would be shifting uh karevi to 13 and playing hunter at 12 okay why because i think karevi is more of the abrasive ball in hand big body that's going to break the line, whereas Hunter's more of a distributor. Uh, so if we put Karevi at, thir- at 12 and Hunter at 13, I just don't think Hunter's going to get the ball. I just okay. think Karevi's going to run it from 12 and just play like that big abrasive player that he does. Uh, so if we swap him around, at least then we've got the the depth and the skill and the kick that Paisami brings. Uh, and then he's also got the outside option of Karevi running off his hip to bust the line. Nick Wasiliev asks, what do the Wallabies have to do to start playing smart rugby? Kev Hearn replied to Nick, stating, select smart players, not ones that are aesthetically pleasing. At the moment, we're shot. Our whole ethos is wrong. Style of play is wrong. Defense is horrid. Uh, just so everybody knows, these um, these tweets came in in the aftermath of the game. That's why a bunch of them are particularly uh, passionate, Heated. shall we say. Um, but I personally think that Andrew Kellaway is the epitome of a smart rugby player right now. He's kind of doing t- uh, for me what Adam Ashley Cooper did for like all of his career and just do the smart things. Well, he and learned just, from just Adam play Ashley the Cooper. Game well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I just think that we need to start playing within our abilities and within ourselves a little bit more and just... I'm going to speak to this more with a bit of footage at Pick and Drive Live on Thursday night, 8pm by the way, all good platforms. 
Um, but one of the things I want us to do is just basically try and get the forward advantage a little bit more than we have previously. And there's a really good tweet, um, series of tweets by Sam Larmore at the moment on Twitter, which speaks to the way in which the a pod system should be used to keep the defense sat effectively. So you can try and actually get over the game line more effectively as well. And when we're going to look at this on Thursday, we're just not doing it effectively. Our pods aren't, our forward runners are never changing the potential point of attack when they receive the ball. It's like, okay, that player's got the ball. He's not going to pass it. And he's just going to hit that up. And that just leaves the defense knowing that all they've got to do is tackle him and then compete at the breakdown and it's done. And the, the other players around don't even have to just hold for that half a second, waiting for a potential pass or pop pass or something like that, because they know as soon as that player has the ball, he's going to get his feet taken out. We can go for the jackal over the top. And I think it's partly why New Zealand's defensive pressure at the ruck has been so strong is because we're not offering enough pictures in attack to actually make the defense think twice. Um, so that's my take on what we need to do to start playing smart rugby is to actually make the defense work a little bit harder than they are and offer multiple pictures in attack than what we are at the moment. Um, Rev, your quick thoughts on that one? Yeah, I like all of what you just said there. And I think it, the challenge nearly is that I kind of wish we had another game against New Zealand just so we could see if we could tweak these things even further because it does seem like there'd be some nice easy fixes. The nice challenge now is um, I'm sure Dan McKellar and the other coaches are looking to see this South African pack is such a different proposition to the All Blacks. They might not counter the exact same way, but they really do capitalise whenever a team makes mistakes. Wallabies are the best at making mistakes. So we need to make sure that we... Uh, <laughs> Limit that to some. We're good at something. <laughs> we're, we're, oh, the best in the world. We're, we're really phenomenal at um, beating ourselves. And one of the things that got the most traction on the Sunday night, I put out a tweet saying, I'd love to see a team beat the Wallabies without the Wallabies' assistance. And so many people would just, I guess, sort of ringing through of like, yeah, so much of what we're doing is just self-sabotage. I think the big change, uh, as well as the pod format, as you mentioned, is keep things tight. You know, all the loose players, sure, it looked kind of good, but we didn't actually capitalize really off any of those um, loose plays other than the Samu uh, line break to Nick White right at the end of the match. Yep. A lot of that just resulted in uh, gift points for the All Blacks. So different team that we're coming up against, but we've got to think of smarter play and a lot of that just boils down to just doing the basics really well. Don't overthink it. Yep. Mitch, similar thought? Yeah, I think we just need to to change up what we're doing. We just seem to be hitting up the same thing over and over again, and we're not actually challenging the, the All Blacks or the defenders at all. We didn't put many kicks in behind, and there's clearly space there. They were anticipating us trying to throw those offloads and going for the intercept. If we put the ball on the toe like Bowden Barrett did in the first half, oh, where Jody so scores good. that try, why did we not try that? Like Noah didn't put it in behind once. We were kicking up high and going and, con- and contesting it uh, in the hu- in the air, but we weren't putting it on the toe and we weren't putting it in behind them and actually turning them around. And Dave Rennie, for whatever reason, Dave Rennie keeps talking about it in the lead up to games and talking about their space. And even at halftime, uh, Dan McKellar was saying, you know, we're, we're taking the wrong option. We're throwing when we should have kicked or we're, we're kicking when we should have passed. Yep. Why, why are our players doing that? Why are they talking about it so much yet not doing it? So it boils back down to we're not picking smart players who are reading the game well who are knowing when the, the option is on to kick it or when to throw it. So that Noel Alessio kick across to, to Kellaway. Um, oh, that he, did my head in. There was an overlap. There was a two-player overlap. But even, and it was harking back to the point you said before about Andrew Kellaway being a smart rugby player, he goes up to try and get the ball. But as soon as he gets off the ground, you can see he's just giving it to Noah. He's like, I, I didn't want you to kick it. 
I wanted you to put it through the hands. And he, he kind of looked disinterested in going up for the kick as well. He yeah, like went up with one hand when if he'd actually tried to AFL market, he may well have actually been able to get it. Um, yeah, look, and some of that, some of this questioning returns to what actually leads some really out there pundits and uh, voices within the game starting to call into question Rennie's place as coach. To which I personally just say, hell no, there is no way in hell, much like um, we saw with the Waratahs this season, that Dave Rennie is at fault for the way that the Wallabies are playing. Now, he may well claim that to take some of the pressure off his players, but when there are such basic skill execution errors or making the wrong choices that we have seen, that, in my mind, is coming down to player ability and player decision-making rather than coaching. Now, conversely, you could argue that sometimes decision-making is poor due to poor coaching, but I would argue that you could get the best coach in the world in here right now to the Wallabies Scott and it Robinson. wouldn't change the result on Sunday. Um, it just would not have altered things at all. Now, Rev, are you of a similar persuasion? Yeah, definitely. And I think part of that um, lends itself to what I mentioned before about the test cap difference. You know, 500 extra test caps to Checkers team. It's no wonder they did better than this current crop. Like, we need to get that experience in. But the other thing that, you know, warrants a little bit of discussion is when you look at the things that led to the Wallabies' loss, nearly none of them are because of structures or plays or things that have been coached into them. You know, when we look to the first try, the All Black score where Lalasio goes to tackle the wrong player, Rennie hasn't told him to always tackle your inside man. Like, that is a poor call on the day. The missed kick, Banks' missed kick into touch, uh, all the line-out throws. Rennie isn't saying, you know what, you don't have to kick every ball out. If you want to kick it dead every now and then, that's fine. <laughs> you know, like, all these things are down to the personnel. Um, I would argue that the one thing that maybe could be Rennie-inspired is uh, the desire to spread it wider on occasion. Um, and that, you know, if that's something that maybe we need to keep it slightly tighter, if that's a Rennie decision, then that is something that we could change. But I don't think that's, you know, that one call is enough to warrant him uh, being displaced. He's the best man for the job. He's doing, I think, relatively well with the current crop of players. That doesn't say the players are poor, but they're young. They're inexperienced. He's equipping them with a whole new game plan. And keep in mind, a lot of these players, they've only been at one club. They've only known one coach. Um, in a professional setup. So they've probably spent all their time just getting used to that one set of playing. If a new coach comes in and changes that, of course these young players are going to need time to adjust, so that's what we're going to afford them. It's just time to adjust and get ready because this side, uh, I think, already is showing glimpses of improvement. And I think, you know, by 2023, if they keep this crop together, we're going to be looking quite nice. Wonderful. Uh, Mitch, do you have anything final you want to say on a Dave Rennie commentary before we wrap up the pod? There is one interesting thing that's starting to f- to happen in the Wallabies at the moment, and I'm not really sure why, but Dave Rennie seems to have a favourite, or he's shaping his team to be, I'm basing them around the Brumbies, which is questionable that he doesn't seem to be sharing things around as equally as he potentially could be. So he's picking players, and a lot of the players that are coming into the squad are coming from the Brumbies. He's picking a lot of their younger players and, and picking them and starting them. He brought Dan McKellar in over Brad Thorne. So it's interesting that there seems to be this favorite or this, um, a, this lean towards the Brumbies at the moment and wanting to play like they're playing. When Michael Checker, 2.0. When Queensland won Super Rugby AU this year. There's players in this Queensland side that aren't getting looked at, like Jock Campbell, for example. We're having issues at fullback. Why is Jock not in the team? Not in the 23. 
or in the squad. That's what I mean. Oh, now, sorry, not yeah. in the 23, in the 30-man squad. So why, there's players like that who are pushing for national honours, yet when, they're just not getting a shot. Like, Alex Murphy should be there. We know he's injured at the moment, and Ryan Lonigan's probably the only option other than that. Uh, sorry, Lockie Lonigan. Lonigan, yes. Lockie Put Lonigan. Put him in at, lock, at hooker. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll win it for us. But yeah, it's, it's just interesting that he seems to have this favoritism towards the Brumbies at the moment, and he's starting to build structures and coaching mentalities and things, leaning much more towards them um, and than any other sort of super sides at the moment. And it's just interesting. See, I... Look, I see that numerically, what was it, five of the eight forwards on the weekend, um, starting forwards for Brumbies? Is that right? You had the front rows, then you had... Spellatini. Yeah, yeah. And Swain. Um, So, but then who are the Reds players that you would have picked ahead of them? Okay, maybe Taniel Tupo. Yeah, sure. Harry Wilson. Uh, Harry Wilson, potentially, but at the same time, you can understand why he's been left out for one game um, and been given a rest for one match. But beyond that, I really don't see much of an issue with it. I don't really see his inherent bias. If the if we had had um, Hunter Paisami and um, Lucan available, they would have been starting. Uh, but they weren't available, so they weren't starting. So I don't really see any strong basis for this idea that it's coming forward, that there's some, some Brumbies-esque bias. I think it's just a lack of player availability um, for a large portion of it. Rev, you're the resident Reds fan here. Yeah, I guess that's what I want to dive into. So many of the players that you would pick, like Brennan Pangaramosa, Lucan Salakailoto, Hunter Paisami, James O'Connor, Filippo Dungunu, Suli Asivunavalu. Players that are really good Reds players, but all of them are interested run available for the match. Mm. Um, Tupo, I think his best role for the Wallabies is off the bench, so I don't mind him not starting. Um, I do have issue with Harry Wilson not starting, because I think he uh, is a better option than what we had on the weekend. But... Other than him, he's the only player from the Reds team that you know won the Super Rugby AU final that I think really had to be in that starting team. Like Fraser McWright, I love him, but he's not going to start over um, Hooper. Scott mm. Young and Liam Wright, they're both workhorses, but I don't think they're necessarily um, the top three blindsides in the comp. So, um, yeah, I do see that there were a lot of Brumbies, but when I look at how many Reds were unavailable, it kind of makes sense. Well on that bombshell of a Reds fan admitting he doesn't want more Reds players in the team. <laughs> we are going to finish the pod there. So thank you so much, everybody, for being involved this week. It's been great to hear your many and varied voices as we've talked through this. As a final reminder, please tune in three, sorry, on Thursday at 8 p.m. on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitter. And we'll be live, hopefully, with a special guest as well. And I'm super excited to chat through, uh, hopefully, some of the team list will be announced but either way we'll be doing some pretty deep analysis of the match on sunday night so thank you so much everybody and have a wonderful week bye bye